Live. Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Ready for this. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast. Fishing New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. We are getting the podcast out early because Thanksgiving is on Thursday. We're going to do some Jets talk today. I'm going to be joined by John Butchko of Gangrene Nation. Talked to John back in the spring when the Jets were going through their offseason. They're going to catch up as the Jets go ahead through the rest of the season. They Coming off a 24-17 loss to the Dolphins. Disappointing one. Talk about that. What we've seen so far. What we look ahead for for the Jets in just a bit. Also, going to do our week 12 NFL picks, Thanksgiving week with Cowboy fan Troy Moriello. Dallas coming off that disappointing performance in the loss to Kansas City. They got the struggling Raiders coming in on Thanksgiving. Talk about that in just a bit. Make sure you lock into the show for this week's two minute drill where we are going to talk about the Mets. They hired GM, which is great. Now, the problem is, I think it took too long. And I think that's going to give them some big issues. I'll explain why the two minute drill, but we'll get all started with our opening tip where we're going to take a look at. The Jets as a whole on the season coming up right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time, talking Jets football and the Jets coming off another disappointing loss this week. They fell to the Miami Dolphins 24-17, recording on Sunday night after the game. And this game was frustrating because unlike the Bill game or the Colt game where they were basically blown out of the water from the start, this game was winnable. They had their opportunities in this game and they simply could not execute on them. They made some mistakes on offense. They made some mistakes on defense. They had some missed field goals. And all that combined gets you a very, very disappointing record here of 2-8 and eight after their first 10 games. They're locking the last place. After today, they're picking second in the draft. And they're going to have a top five pick potentially coming if Seattle continues to fade. But, you know, it was frustrating. You know, he's also good things today. Elijah Moore made some plays. Michael Carter continued to make plays out of the backfield. Joe Flacco was okay. He did some good things, some bad things. But to me, the thing that was frustrating is that there were a lot of mistakes. Whether it was guys being out of position, leading to big plays for the Dolphins, some very bad penalties. The one that's most egregious is John Franklin Myers roughing the passer after the Jets had a stop on third and goal. And instead, they get a free first down. Miami's in the end zone two plays later. Really changed the course of the game. And continued issues with the clock management at Robert Sala. In the third quarter alone, they had to burn a timeout to avoid the late game. Then later in the drive, they burn another timeout because they think that they are going to have too many men in the huddle. They did not. But those two timeouts came back to haunt the Jets because they needed them down the stretch to slow the clock down. They could not. The season as a whole, it's about what you expect at the record to be at this point. It's very disappointing how they got in there because they're getting worse. The offensive line has not had Mekhi Becton since week one, since he got hurt against Carolina. It's taking a long time for him to get back. He's a question about conditioning again. The tackles a whole been okay. George Fan has held his own at left tackle. 
Morgan Moses has been decent at right tackle. Elijah Vera Tucker has been a stud at left guard, which you'll love. He has been fantastic. They need to upgrade that Greg Van Roden, Connor McGovern tandem on the interior because those two have been the weak links. The Jets did get Greg Van Roden out of the lineup today. They put Laurent Dubernay-Tardif in, the guy they traded for from the Chiefs. He did a good job at road graves, opening holes in the running game. I want to see him stick there going forward. The skill players are not bad. They need more talent, particularly tight end, because, I mean, you're running out Ryan Griffin in 2021 as your lead tight end. That's a problem. You need to get more talent there. Wide receiver one, Elijah Moore is taking steps that direction, but he's still a young guy. Corey Davis, a complimentary player. You need more talent in that wide receiver room. The system can work. Mike White obviously had great success with the two games he played. Josh Johnson moved the ball. Joe Flacco moved the ball. You're hoping that Zach Wilson comes back against the Texans. And remember, he sat out this week because they said they wanted him to have full confidence in his knee when he goes back to make plays, which obviously understandable because against the blitzing defense, maybe he's not that confident yet. You wanted to watch what happened the last few weeks and say, I don't have to do everything. I don't have to play hero ball. I can, you know, set back, take the dump off pass to Michael Carter, let him go for a couple of yards. I can hit a slant to Elijah Moore as opposed to try and wait for Corey Davis to get open down the field. That stuff, I think, is fixable. And if Wilson makes adjustments to the offense, I think he's in a much better position than the defense. That defense has a lot of problems. The front four is solid. I'll give them that. They have talent there. as Quentin Williams, Franklin Myers, Kyle Phillips, Sheldon Rankins. To get even better once Carl Lawson's back next year. Remember, he was supposed to be the difference maker on this defense. Out of the year, towards Achilles in, in camp. Apart from that, though, where's the talent on this unit? C.J. Mosley is a two-down linebacker at this point. He had a good start early in the season. He's faded down the stretch. He had a big missed tackle early in this game. That's the first Miami touchdown. The other linebacker is nice, isn't it? They tried to convert two kids, two draft picks from safety to linebacker. They both got hurt around for the year. Jared Davis is the priority pickup for Joe Douglas in the offseason linebacker. He's been a disaster. The secondary, bunch of young guys. We're hoping one of them becomes the number two corner. Michael Carter, the other one, the corner, is a good slot guy. Go bring somebody out of that Bryce Hall, Jason Pennick, Brandon Eccles, Isaiah Dunn mix. It comes a number two corner, and you find a number one eventually. But they have nothing to say to either. Marcus May wasn't playing great. He goes down for the year. He's out. They lost to Marcus Joyner earlier in the season. Ashton Day has been an outright disaster. It's really bad. I think, and you look at the pure lack of talent in this defense, it's hard to get a true evaluation on Robert Sala there because you're basically giving him Funyuns, some ketchup, some bologna. You're asking him to whip up a five-course masterpiece. It's not going to happen. A lot of this does go back to the chronic mismatch of that roster because, remember, John Edzik and Mike McCagney routinely blew drafts. Remember the Edzik 12, how many guys whiffed on that pick? Joe Douglas has to do a better job of bringing the right players in here. Douglas has shown you one great trade so far that he can win the trade. He's won pretty every big deal he's made. He got two ones and a three for Jamal Adams, who is not contributing a ton in Seattle right now. And they turned two of those picks into Elijah Barry Tucker, which is fantastic. Sam Darnold now basically out of a job in Carolina, whether Cam Newton holds it or they go get a quarterback next year. They get a two and a four from the Panthers this year. They got a six already last year. That's a great start. Chris Herndon. For a guy who entered week 11, three catches for 23 yards at a touchdown of the year. They got a fourth round pick for him. Great job. That's half the battle, though. 
Joe Douglas needs to convert those assets into actual players. His verse class was really, really bad. I'm not counting the 19 draft because he came here after it was done. The 2020 class is Mekhi Becton, who's been hurt a lot. He's good when he plays. That's all staying on the field. Denzel Mims, who has fallen down the depth chart in his new system and cannot get on the field. That real stretch of Ashton Davis, Jabari Zuniga, James Morgan, and Cameron Clark in the low round is brutal. Those are awful picks all in a row. And I give him credit there. Bryce Hall could be a find. He could be a corner. The punter's not bad, but that's a big whiff from your first year of picks here. That's not a good job. This year's group is better, but he also needs to get better in free agency. He's made some really strange choices, whether it was the McGovern, Greg Van Roden combo for the O-line, which backfired significantly. Letting Robbie Anderson walk for an affordable contract a couple of years ago, that's come back to burn the Jets. Rushing assigned Jared Davis, one of the top free agents. That's been a disaster. Douglas has some more resources to improve his roster. He's done a good job getting the assets. Now he has to turn them into actual players, whether he's using the cast base efficiently, whether it's hitting on the draft picks. This offseason, he's got to do a lot more. I get that there's a process here. I get they want to tear it down to the studs and build it back up. And I get playing all these kids now is going to have some of them be ready to go in a year or two when you have a big jump. But you got to get more in here. You got to convert these assets into players. If you do not, you're going nowhere. With that, we'll get more into the Jets with John Butchko right after this call from Sunday's loss to the Dolphins. Elijah Moore, long touchdown, courtesy of CBS Sports, Greg Humble. And these are the two deepest defensive backs for the Dolphins. Flacco throw Down the middle, he's got it. Elijah Moore, the 20, the 10, the 5. Touchdown. All right, I am back here talking New York Jets football on the Just and the Suffering podcast. Joining me today, we talked to him back in the offseason. Talked to John Butchko of Gang Green Nation. John's back with us. John, how are you? I'm doing okay. How are you? Doing okay. I mean, I watched the Jet game today. It was very interesting. They had some momentum on offense. Defense struggled a bit. What did you take away from today's Jet game? I was frustrated by this game. Now, I think this has been a different Game. I think this was a different game than we've seen the last couple of weeks because since the bye, the Jets played four games prior to this one and they had been blown out in three of them. But this team they played today is not that great. You know, the Dolphins came into this game three and seven. They've been really underperforming this season. And I thought the Jets had some opportunities to take advantage of in this game. You know, the Dolphins had made a lot of mistakes. Now, the Jets made a lot of mistakes, too. And I think that the difference between playing, say, a Miami and Buffalo last week is that when you make mistakes against Buffalo, you get blown out. Whereas you make mistakes against Miami, those don't necessarily destroy you. But, you know, I look at this game. I look at the defense not getting stops in the second half. I look at the Jets twice going to the red zone and not getting points. And then the third time they got it to Miami's 36-yard line and not getting points. Difficult for me to not look at this and be disappointed and feel like the Jets maybe squandered an opportunity to get their third win. Yeah, I think the thing that bothers me more is the fact that the Jets got off the field twice and then had penalties basically extend those drives to the Dolphins that led immediately to touchdowns. There's the John Franklin Myers roughing the passer, or I believe it was a, p- a pass interference on the second one. So those things I think you don't want to see that. You can get beat by talent, I get it, but making mistakes like that is not great. 
Yeah, and I think heading into the season, I remember back in the spring when we chatted, I mentioned that this season is not only about wins and losses for the Jets. It's really about progress as much as anything. But this is the first game in a stretch where there are some very beatable opponents. And I don't think that you can 100% say that progress is based on wins and losses because, look, this is a team that has a talent deficit in a lot of areas. But you can't completely separate the idea that progress is measured at least to some extent by wins and losses, especially when you have a stretch where the next couple of opponents are not that great. Now you have the Saints game in this mix, and then the Eagles are playing better. They're up in a few weeks. But this, to me, was like the beginning of a critical start stretch of this Jets season so to help us gauge how much progress this team is making. And this was kind of a disappointing start, I thought. Yeah, for sure. Now you also got the quarterback question lingering over this because obviously Mike White had his moment. He got benched. Joe Flacco played decently today and back to see the quarterback room back to Zach Wilson next week. As soon as next week, if he clears whatever is going on with his knee, if he has confidence in it. So I think the question here we have to watch is like, what did Zach Wilson learn in his four weeks sitting on the sideline watching this offense being run and not trying to make the hero play and just take what the defense gives you? I'm curious to see how that goes for him. Absolutely. And I think it comes down to whether or not Wilson's 100% for next weekend, because on paper, Houston Texans are a good way to ease him back into the lineup. And, you know, as you mentioned, Joe Flacco wasn't terrible in this game, but it's not like Joe Flacco played so well that you say this guy has to start the next game. It's not like Mike White against Cincinnati where he goes out and throws for 400 yards. You're like, you can't bench this guy. I mean, Flacco was okay. I mean, Flacco was about as well as I think you could have expected from him, but you know, he's obviously a guy on the downside of his career. And at this point, he's he's a backup. He's not a starter. Yeah, for sure. And I think the Wilson thing, what do you want to see the most out of him going forward here? Because I think the thing I want to see is obviously if he, you know, sees that the offense can run, you just take what the defense gives you and not try and play hero ball every play. That's a really big one, because if you look at a number of Zach Wilson's interceptions, there's been a guy open maybe a check down, something that was open underneath where he was trying to force the ball down the field. I'm hoping to see him a little bit more comfortable in the pocket. I think his reads have been an issue through the earliest part of his career. I think that there have been some suspect decisions. So I think in the pocket, there, there have been some moments where he's really struggled, maybe not climb the pocket when he had, when he had an opportunity. So, you know, I think all of this stuff, I think Zach Wilson's kind of two different quarterbacks right now. When the play breaks down, he could be a very exciting quarterback because, and this was most prevalent in the game against Tennessee that the Jets won. Wilson could make a broken play and turn it into a 50-yard gain. He could turn it into a touchdown. I think the more basic elements of quarterbacking have been a little bit more difficult for him to this point. Again, working in the pocket, making reads, making smart decisions. So if you could take the player who can create outside the structure of the play call and then add somebody who understands what he's doing in the pocket. Now, now you've really got something. So, you know, you see the talent from Wilson. You see him flash it. But can he be the guy who, I think Robert Sala has said this in the past, can he be the guy who hits the layups? I think, I think you just alluded to that as well. It's, it's, a, it's, not, it's not all about the big play. Part of it's just about taking what the defense gives you and understanding what the defensive concepts are and getting the ball where it needs to go. For sure. I think also the, the one of the few encouraging things about today was that we had a lot of questions about Juggle because his rookie class from 2020, which has pretty much been a disaster with injuries and guys underperforming. The fact that you got good performance today out of the rookie trio from rounds two and two, one and four with Elijah Barrett Tucker opening holes the offensive line, Michael Carter playing well before he got hurt, and Elijah Moore having another big game. I think those three, I think, have really been the stars of the rookie class this year. 
Yeah, and uh, another guy I'd throw in there, I'm not sure he had the biggest game today, but Michael Carter the second. I mean, you have four guys that I think were playing really well. And, you know, you may remember back in training camp every single day, you heard about how Elijah Moore was dominating and how Elijah Moore is going to step on in day one, be great. And then he suffered that injury. And once we got into the season, he had a week in the concussion protocol. And it seems like he's finally getting comfortable. And as much as anything, you started to see Elijah Moore come on the last couple of weeks. But what's been missing is like the big play, the game-changing splash play. And we finally got that on the long touchdown pass he caught from Flacco in, in this game. So, you know, if you're looking for hope for, for as a Jets fan, this rookie class has been really good. I think, I think you said it right. The last year's rookie class outside of Bryce Hall, the fifth-round pick has been a bit of a disappointment, some of it due to injuries, some of it due to underperformance. This year's rookie class is showing a lot of promise. Oh, for sure. And I think one area I think that's clear that needs to be improved here is his defense. And now they had some injuries, especially losing Carl Lawson preseason was a killer. And they've had a bunch of issues with the linebacker position. But this defense, to me, there's just no talent on it outside of the front four. It feels like almost an expansion level of defense, which is really bad. And I get that defense is Robert Salah's specialty and Jeff Ulbrich was a well-regarded coordinator. But when I see the breakdown of this defense and the fact that it looks slow and out of position, it's like there's not much you can really do. Yeah, and that's one of the troubling things. Salah and Ulbrich talk frequently about how they run a simple system so that their guys can play fast and always know where they need to be. I mean, how many times do you watch these guys and they're in the wrong spot? I mean, there were so many misdirection plays Miami ran in this game where guys were out of position. You know, I think that there is a little bit of young talent at the corner position. We, I talked a little bit about Bryce Hall and Michael Carter the second, but yeah, I mean, the other corner slot, Isaiah Dunn had a brutal game in this one. He was beaten for a long touchdown because he was in the wrong spot. Safety position is the safety position. You know, Ashton Davis has been, a, I think, a pretty big disappointment, the third round pick from a year ago. Now, part of this, as you mentioned, is due to injuries, not only Carl Lawson, but both starting safeties for the Jets are out for the year. So they're playing guys at safety who would probably struggle to make an NFL roster on another team, but they're just so banged up at the safety position. But yeah, you said it, the linebackers have been underperforming, you know, early in the season, I thought the linebackers were playing well, especially CJ Mosley, but I think his game has really regressed. Jared Davis has been a big disappointment this season. He did not play in the early part of the season because he was injured, but he came back and last week had a bad game. You know, Quincy Williams, I thought, actually played a pretty good game against Miami, and he played a good game against Tennessee a while back, but he's a backup. I mean, he, he he's a more of a depth player. His performances between Tennessee and today were kind of inconsistent. So, yeah, I mean, as much as anything, they got to upgrade the talent level. Yeah, for sure. And I think that makes it tough to really evaluate Robert Sala because he's not working with a lot. I said at the top of the show, so like you're asking him to get, giving him Funyuns, ketchup, and, uh, like, and French fries and asking to make a souf like a fancy souffle ab and not gonna happen. But at the same time, there are things that are bothersome when you watch him, whether it's the clock management, especially has been a big problem in terms of being able to flow of the game. Stuff like that is concerning to me. I'll tell you the thing that bothers me, and I, I don't know how much of this you can put on Salah and the coaching staff, but I feel like this is a worse team than it was week one. I you know, this is a young team. You're expecting them to get better as the season progresses, and it's just not there. You know, and I know that they came closer this week to beating Miami than they were against Buffalo last week or the Colts two weeks ago or New England a little while back. But again, they had opportunities to do something in this game and they kind of squandered them, I thought. Uh, so, you know, this is next stretch is a bunch of winnable games. You just hope that they get a couple of wins. Maybe one win helps build their confidence. I mean, I go back a couple of years ago and 
I never bought into the idea that just going six and two in the second half of 2019 was really that big of a deal. But if you remember what began that stretch was they beat the giants and that kind of got them on a little bit of a run that gave built up a little bit of momentum. And I've always felt like if they lost that giants game, they probably would have finished like two and 14 or three and 13 that year. So hopefully like they get a win next weekend against Houston and maybe that builds their confidence. Maybe that gets them going a little bit in this easier stretch of the schedule. Yeah, for sure. I think with Salah also, I think it's interesting. We saw uh, like the whole fiasco of Rex Ryan going public saying, oh, you know, he's a terrible coach. He's not the right guy. Then today he sort of walks it back. And I mean, you want to like Salah, but like, again, it's very tough to judge him because I don't think he's working with much. I think that's absolutely true. And I think, Part of this is maybe expectations were a little too high for him, especially following Adam Gase. Obviously, Gase was a very unpopular hire from the day the Jets made him. And I think people spent pretty much two years looking forward to the day Gase would no longer be the coach. So you bring in Salah, and there's always optimism whenever you hire a new coach. You think he's going to be great, part because you've never seen him fail. So he could be anything. He could be, you know, he could be Vince Lombardi. Well, of course, every single coach has their own flaws. And Sal is a first-time head coach. I think you had to expect that there were going to be some growing pains this season. He's still kind of learning how to do the job. So, you know, all of this in mind, and also the Jets clearly decided to just do a total teardown. I mean, this is, this is the youngest roster in the NFL. Up and down the roster, you're playing rookies, you're playing second-year guys. You don't really have many veterans there to provide stability. It was something the Jets kind of planned on, and I think the whole philosophy was, you know what, this year is going to be rough, but our guys are going to get a lot of experience and maybe they'll be better for it in the long run. So yeah, as you, as you mentioned, it's tough on Salah. I think whenever you're the coach of a losing team, a team that fans view as underperforming, especially in New York, you're going to be in the spotlight. But, you know, he's still early in his career and he's got a lot of obstacles. Yeah, I also think in terms of this situation with the Ross here, I don't think the Joe Douglas factor gets talked about too much yet because he's had a lot of runway because he came in such a bad situation and... I think now, going forward, because he's had some rough free agency periods, you have one good draft, one bad draft. Now he's got potentially two picks in the top 10, four picks in the top 50 next year, a lot of cap room. I think the price is going to be up, increased significantly on Joe Douglas, put a much more competitive roster together for 2022 than he had the last two years. Well, you know, I go back to what I said about Adam Gase. The best thing that happened to Joe Douglas the first two years was that Adam Gase was his head coach because Adam Gase was there to take all the criticism. You know, you never heard a word about Joe Douglas because everybody was so frustrated with the coaching staff. Now, the first year was really not Douglas's team. Mike McCagnan had built the team and Douglas came in after the draft and after free agency. But yeah, as you mentioned, I think you would have liked to have seen more, especially with all the fanfare Joe Douglas came in with. I mean, Joe Douglas was as hyped as a general manager hire I can remember since maybe Chris Ballard. And before that, Scott Pioli with the Chiefs. I mean, this was what, this was a guy who was universally acclaimed as the next great GM. And it hasn't all been bad, but I don't think you're exactly where you'd hope you'd be at this point. So I agree. I think there is going to be some pressure on Joe Douglas this offseason. And look, this is where it all is. The Jets are going to have a fair amount of cap space this year, and they're going to have, as you mentioned, all this draft capital. You got to see big improvements very soon, I think, for Joe Douglas. Yeah, the one thing I'll give him credit for is that he has done a fantastic job in terms of winning the actual trades where, like, he gets assets for things that you don't think they should be getting a lot for, like Sam Darnold getting two more picks for this year, two ones for Jamal Adams, getting a fourth-round pick for Chris Herndon. Then that's all he had to battle. He still has to make the picks and have them convert and actually use his free agent dollars to get guys in here actually useful. That we have to see more of. Yeah, and I'll give him credit because 
the first pick they got from Seattle for Jamal Adams. And I guess actually they used the, the third round pick they got for Adams to trade up. They got Elijah Vera Tucker with. So that's a positive. But yeah, it's like you said. I mean, it, I think a lot of the theories behind Joe, what Joe Douglas is doing is good. You know, in free agency, I think we've seen with the Jets over and over that nothing destroys your franchise more like paying premium money for guys who aren't premium players in free agency. We saw it with Trumaine Johnson. We saw it with, you know, CJ Mosley, who, I mean, a lot of it's not CJ Mosley's fault because he was hurt and he opted out, but I don't know that CJ Mosley was worth the contract the Jets gave him. And, you know, even Le'Veon Bell, who at one point was a premium player, the Jets rolled the dice when they signed him because he had not played in a year. So, I mean, I think if you look at the good teams in the NFL, that they try to kind of avoid the, the monster free agent deals and they try and find, I don't know if bargain's the right word because you can still you can spend money to try and big, bring in a quality player in free agency as the Jets tried to do with Carl Lawson and Corey Davis this past year. But it's a smart approach. That's how you have to do it. You can't, the team, if you look, there's a direct, there's a direct correlation between the team's who spend the most in free agency from year to year and losing teams. And the other thing I'll say about Joe Douglas is that he does do a good job of collecting draft capital. I think that's one thing his predecessor struggled with quite a bit. The best teams in the NFL at drafting tend to be the teams with the most picks because the draft is fraught with randomness. I mean, I don't even know how these guys do it where you're essentially trying to project the next 10 years of a guy who's 21, 22. There are so many variables at play and the teams that are, the best at the draft, whether it's Baltimore, where Joe Douglas came from, you know, Green Bay's always been a, a solid drafting team. They always have extra picks. They build in the margin for error. So a lot of the big picture stuff looks pretty good with Joe Douglas. It's just that's only part of the that's only part of the process. You know, there's the there's having a good plan and then there's executing a good plan. I think the the having a good plan part, Joe Douglas has done well. The execution has left something to be desired to this point. Yeah, absolutely. And right now, they still have, at this point, seven games left in the season. He said plenty of winnable games. They got the Texans coming up. They got Miami again, Jacksonville. Games against New Orleans and Philly are winnable because there's not superpower teams here. So what do you want to see out of this team down the stretch? Well, some wins, obviously. I guess that's <laughs> number one. Uh, but you want to continue to see the rookie class make strides, especially Zach Wilson. You know, go back to what we said earlier about Zach Wilson playing smarter, being better within the pocket. I mean, so much of these last few games are going to be about the extent to which Zach Wilson grows. And I think as much as anything, you want to build some momentum heading into next season. Now, San Francisco, I know they've been kind of up and down this year. The whole theory behind bringing in Robert Sala was, you know, the, I think part, at least part of it was that Salah came from a massive rebuilding process in San Francisco. You have to remember that their first year, they got off to a terrible start. They were one of the worst teams in the NFL, and they finished that year really strong. And it kind of laid a foundation for future success. Now, it wasn't a direct line because the next year, Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt, I think, the third week of the season. And they, I think, finished the season with the second worst record in the NFL. But I always felt like the, the end of that 2017 season for San Francisco kind of laid the foundation for the run that they made in 2019, even though it was a year delayed. Now, I don't think the Jets are a year away from the Super Bowl, but I'd like to see them build some momentum. I'd like to see young players continue to develop. I'd like to feel good heading into this offseason with all of these resources the Jets have to build their roster up and head into 2022 with confidence. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, obviously, this week it could start off. They get the Texans here. They have to go to Houston. They have not won a road game yet this year. It's been nice to see them actually do that. I know Houston's coming off a big win against Tennessee. Nobody thought they would have. So maybe you catch it at the right time. Like, I'm a little high on themselves. So, like, what do you think is the keys here for the Jets against the Texans? Presumably with Wilson back under center. Yeah, you said it right. You know, on the one hand, do you get Houston when they're hot? Or on the other hand, is Houston not good enough to string together two straight games? I think, you know, you got to see Elijah Moore continue to grow. I think that you want to see a good performance out of Zach. I guess that's stating the obvious. You know, you know, the quarterback needs to play well. What a brilliant key to the game that is, isn't it? Um, but on defense, they got to get this thing figured out. And as much as anything, it almost doesn't matter what the Texans do. If this defense keeps playing like this, if you keep having guys out of position, if the defensive line doesn't generate a consistent pass rush, I honestly think going forward, this is more about the Jets than it is anybody else. This is a defensive line. As much as they have issues with linebacker in the secondary, there's legitimate talent on this defensive line. And I think it's been underperforming most of the season. So they need to get things going again. Yeah, I also think my big thing would be, I want to see the mistakes cut down significantly, whether it's the penalties, whether it's having situations where you're burning timeouts because you have too many guys in the huddle or delay a game, stuff like that, it really start cleaning up. Absolutely. I mean, so many mistakes in this game. Uh, you know, Joe Flacco takes an intentional grounding penalty. As you mentioned, there, there were issues with timeouts. They burned two timeouts on one drive in the second half, and that came back to really hurt them because they were kind of low on timeouts near the end of the game. Now, I'm not sure that necessarily made the difference. But yeah, the, I think as much as anything, that's what's frustrating. It's one thing to go out there and say the team played well. You know what? They just weren't good enough. We saw the Jets make a lot of mistakes in this game, and we've seen a lot, the Jets make a lot of mistakes over the last couple of weeks that are really just about them and have nothing to do with the opponent. So those are the things you got to cut down on. Yeah, it's also frustrating, too, because they've not won a division game, I think, since 2019. So it'd be nice to actually get one, one of those in the win column for once. Absolutely. I think the last division game they won was the final game of 2019. It was a game where Buffalo played their backups because they had already clinched their playoff spot. So I don't even know how much that one really counts. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, John, thanks for all the time. I really, I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I can you follow social media, keep up what you're doing over at Gangrene Nation. Um, yeah, it's, uh, the website's gangrenenation.com. I actually don't have a personal Twitter. I'm the one person on earth who doesn't have one. <laughs> so just go to gangrenenation.com. And I also host the Locked On Jets podcast. That's a daily podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. New episodes each day, Monday through Friday. You can find that where podcasts are found. Yeah, and if you want to follow Gangrene Nation on Twitter, can they do that? Yes, uh, it's at Gang Green Nation. All right, John, thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Looking forward to doing it again. Show me the money. All right, show me the money. NFL picks for week number 12 are here. Thanksgiving week is here. Joining me today. Talk, to break it all down, do the picks. Uh, Dallas Cowboys fan, Troy Moriel is here. Troy, how are you? Doing well, Mike. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. I'm probably better than you are, considering you guys played the game of the weekend and just got completely obliterated by the offensive line no-show. So, I mean, what are your thoughts about the Steel, that uh, Chief game? Yeah, it always kind of ruins the the beginning of your week. You know, Mondays are already kind of kind of stink. And then when your team kind of lays an egg in the, uh, in the national televised game on Sunday, that kind of doesn't get your week off on, on a good, uh, on a good foot, but yeah, that was just a, a mess of a game from the Cowboys. They were really outplayed from, from the opening kickoff uh, Dak missing Michael Gallup on really that the first throw of the game when he had him wide open, kind of, kind of set the tone for a lot of 
a lot of miscues, a lot of missed opportunities, really on offense. Uh, I thought that their defense actually played well. I mean, they held the Chiefs to 19 points after giving up 16 in the first quarter and a half. They really locked them down. Uh, they played well in the red zone. They, they forced a couple turnovers. So the defense did their job. Like you said, it was the offense that was just hor- horrendous, um, you know, almost worse than they were really in the in the Denver game a couple weeks ago. Couldn't block anyone. Missing Tyron Smith, uh, that's, you know, he's really one of the most important players on offense. Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb leaving at halftime. And Dak just didn't have it today. He was missing some open guys. Receivers were dropping passes. So all that is a recipe for scoring nine points, kicking three field goals on the road. Uh, you're not going to beat the Chiefs in that scenario. The Chiefs, in my opinion, didn't even really look all that impressive offensively. Uh, the Cowboys just kind of beat themselves and took themselves out of the game early, and then they never really made a comeback, it felt like. Yeah, for sure. I think the thing that's frustrating about that game is more so that, like, you your defense played well. You held Mahomes down for the most part. It's just that you couldn't block. The line couldn't do anything, and those are the worst kind of games because you just can't get anything going. You can't block. Yeah, and that's the most frustrating thing about the loss is, like you said, the defense was was really solid. If you would have told me, you know, even after Amari Cooper was ruled out on Friday, if you would have told me, you know, 24 hours before the game, hey, you're going to give up 19 points, I would have said they're probably going to win this game because I would have been confident that even without Tyron Smith, they would have been able to put up somewhere in the 20s and uh, eke out a win in, in Arrowhead. Um, yeah, the offense, the offensive line was, was really the biggest issue. Dak just had no time. And you saw it in the routes that they were running. They weren't able to push the ball downfield like they like to. They weren't able to extend the field. There was really a lot of checkdowns, a lot of screens, a lot of a lot of passes behind the line of scrimmage or drag routes. So nothing was really opening up downfield for them. And that's why they look so inept on offense. And unfortunately, now that's kind of two out of the last three weeks where they've kind of been shut down for a majority of the game on offense, maybe a little bit eyebrow raising there. Yeah, for sure. This is an interesting year for the Cowboys. Obviously, they are still running away favorites in the NFC East. I mean, Philly's gotten hot, but they're not not nearly as good as Dallas is. And the question is here, no Dallas, they measure by Lombardi trophies, not just winning division. So do you think they can get out of the NFC this year? It feels like a very weird year to try and project anything in this league. Well, for me personally, I measure by let's just try to make the playoffs. In my lifetime, I've never even come close to a Lombardi trophy. But uh, this this year, yeah, I think that they have a shot. Uh, you know, the NFC is so loaded. It's it's very top heavy, as, as we all know. You know, those top five teams in the NFC, I think you could really make a case for Arizona, the Rams, the Bucks, the Packers and the Cowboys to win it. Um, really wouldn't shock me if any of them any of them made it to the Super Bowl. I think that the Cowboys are really on the level with all of those teams. Uh, obviously they played the Bucks once this year. They were right there with them uh, in the first game. So I think that they've got a shot for sure. It's really just going to shake up with the matchups, you know, how the matchups fall. If they are the four seed, I think that's going to be a really, really tough task because they'd likely have to play either the Rams or the Cardinals uh, in a first round wild card game and then go on the road to face whoever the one seed is in the divisional round, which is a tough, tough task. I think it's all about trying to get either the one seed or the two seed or at worst case, the three seed uh, to give yourself maybe a bit of an easier path, but it's going to be a slugfest between those five teams and you could really make a case for any of them. And I think that the Cowboys are really right there. They are right there. And obviously it's Thanksgiving. They're playing at home. They have the Raiders coming in here. The Raiders really fall off a cliff since, since the Henry Ruggs thing happened. And what do you think the keys are here for the Cowboys to win this game? Yeah, it's just getting off to a good start, you know, uh, especially offensively. They're going to be shorthanded. They're going to be, you know, they're going to have at least, you would assume, Amari Cooper out and then probably C.D. Lamb as well. So your offense is going to be a little bit shorthanded. Uh, try to set the tone early. You know, they, they 
Against Atlanta, they take the ball first. They drive right down the field. They score a touchdown. They blow them out. Against the Chiefs, they take the ball first. They miss an opportunity on first down. They end up going three and out, and uh, they end up losing that game and only scoring nine points. I say, you know, take take the ball first, set the tone, try to put some points on the board early. I don't think that, you know, the Raiders' offense really hasn't been great the last couple of weeks. You should be able to, to kind of, you know, silence them a little bit offensive or defensively. So, you know, try to set the tone early, try to get some points on the board early, make it a little bit easier for your offense so that you're not chasing points so that you can, you know, set the run and see if you can get out of there with a win against a team. Like you said, that's really been free falling the last couple of weeks and has dealt with so much adversity this season. Um, you know, you hope that they don't get back on track against the Cowboys. Yeah, before we get to the picks, I want to talk a little about this Thanksgiving triple header here because we already knew going into the week that the Lion-Bear game is going to be a massive dud. I mean, that's one that you watch it just because it's on and there's not much going on. I just feel like the later two games have lost a lot of luster the last, like, three weeks. Yeah, yeah, especially with the Bills and the Saints kind of kind of falling off as the as the night game. I still think Cowboys-Raiders is a really cool matchup uh, in general and especially on Thanksgiving. I think actually the last three times they played the Raiders they've at home, they've played them on Thanksgiving. So that seems like that's always the spot for them. I still think that would be a cool game. And, uh, you know, Bill Saints is still a watchable game. But like you mentioned, both of those teams have really, really kind of fell off the last uh, the last couple of weeks. So maybe that game loses a little bit of its luster. But still the Bills fighting for that AFC East uh, title and the, and the Saints are still in playoff contention despite their kind of poor run of late. So, you know, it's football. It's Thanksgiving. They all go together. We're all going to be watching every second of every game anyways. Um, so yeah, I'm still looking forward to it. At least the first two, but the time that third game comes around, the time you have all the turkey, you trick the family, you put you to sleep by the uh, third quarter of Bill Saints. Yeah, I've definitely fell asleep on the couch to to the night game uh, a couple a couple of years. So maybe I can stay up this year. Maybe I'll go a little bit light on the turkey. Yeah, for sure. And let's get to the NFL picks. Is the reason why you're here. My friend Dandy Martini was here last week. He went one and two on the week. He had the unfortunate situation where he took the Ravens laying the points before Lamar Jackson got ruled out with the game. They win by three, not cover the five and a half. He went heads up with me on Washington and Carolina. Washington won outright, so he won that one. And he had, for his last game, I've got to look up on my list here because it's so crazy. you got to try and keep track of all these games. It's pretty nuts with how deep into the season we are. And, we, and I think, oh, he had the Titans laying the ten and a half against the, against the Houston Texans, and they just didn't show up. Yeah, not a good pick there. Yeah, it was not a good one for him. He went one and two in the week. I went two and one. I did lose the heads up pick with him. I did call correctly. I'm trying to get and go back to my list here because again, this is what happens when you're trying to podcast on the fly, multiple different things going on here. I had the Chiefs in your game. I had them laying a two and a half. I figured they would win that game outright. They came through for me. And I was sweating out the Steelers all night last night, getting the uh five and a half points, and they came back in the fourth quarter and covered the number. So good job for yeah. me. That one looked like a loser for a, for a long, long time, and then ends up hitting at the very end. There, I'm sure you were happy. I am very happy. So on the year, Team Challengers now is 12, 20, and one, and I am 17 Ooh. and 16. It's not been a good year. It's been very tough. All right. Well, I'll try to turn things around for the Challengers. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get started with the picks. So you are up first as the guest. Where are you going with pick number one? Okay, pick number one. Uh, I'm going to go to the New England Patriots playing five and a half against the Tennessee Titans. Uh, listen, I just think that the Patriots are absolutely rolling right now. 
Their defense is shutting people down. Mac Jones looks like he's been the best rookie quarterback by far compared to all the other guys uh, that were taken in the first round. I think that he's been taking care of the ball. He's been finding they're kind of, you know, they've kind of built that offense in a good way around him. And their defense, like I said, has just been absolutely shut down. I think that they'll make the Titans kind of one-dimensional. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty big spread for a team that's 8-3, and three, but I just think that the Patriots are, are absolutely rolling right now. So I'm going to take them laying the five and a half points at home against the Titans for my first pick. Yeah, that's one for me is more of a stay away because I know Tennessee played well for a few weeks without Derrick Henry. Now Julio Jones on the shelf. A.J. Brown gets hurt every game. Like I wouldn't be shocked if they went in there and won that game. Wouldn't be shocked if they get blown out. So not for me, that's a stay away. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Where are you going pick two? All right, pick two. Uh, this one, again, maybe a little bit of, a, of, a, of an interesting pick. I'm going to take the Falcons plus one on the road, or minus one actually on the road against the Jaguars. Um, listen, I just I don't think that the Jaguars should be in like a pick 'em game against anyone. I know that the Falcons have looked horrible the last two weeks uh, against the Patriots and against my Cowboys, but I think that they're due for a bounce back. They're kind of due for a get right game. You know, they're not that bad. I just I don't think that they're that bad. So I'm going to take the Falcons uh, in basically what's a pick 'em against against the Jaguars. I just don't think, like I said, the Jaguars are, are kind of everyone's get right game. Uh, they were just blown out yesterday. I don't think that they're a very good team. So it's more just fading the Jaguars than it is having faith in the Falcons. So I'm going to take the Falcons in that one. Yeah, I'm not going to touch that game because, again, the number is too close. But that, to me, that's a spot where I would actually lean the Jaguars because I just don't trust Atlanta. The three of their wins here against the Giants, the Jets, and the Dolphins, who are all very bad teams, two of them were very close wins. So I would not be shocked at all if they went down to Jackson and lost that game. So that's why I'm staying the hell away from it. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a total toss-up. I just don't like the Jaguars. All right, pick number two. Pick number three, where are you going? Pick three, I'm going with the Minnesota Vikings on the road against the 49ers. Uh, I'm going to take them plus three in this. Right now it's plus three. Um, again, I just I think that they're a little bit due. I, this is a risky pick for sure, but I just think that they're, they they made something happen yesterday against the Packers. I think that they maybe found something yesterday. Uh, I think that they're due. You know, I think that this is a playoff team. I really do. And if they're going to be a playoff team, they got to win games like this. Uh, it's a 425 start. I know I don't love taking Kirk Cousins in those late starts, but I don't think it's the national game, so I feel okay about that. And uh, yeah, I just uh, I, I'm not buying the Niners. It feels like every every time this season, it's been one step forward, two steps back for them. I guess you could say the same thing about the Vikings as well. But I just I, I feel comfortable taking the Vikings even on the road, uh, getting three points. I think it's going to be a close game. I think that they could very well uh, win outright and kind of you know push themselves towards the playoffs. So I'm going to take the Vikings plus three in this one. God bless you taking that game. Both teams go up and down the whole year. So I would st- I'm, that's not what I'm staying the hell away from. All right, you're staying away from all three of mine then, I yeah. guess. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Pick number one for me now. I'm going to go to Thanksgiving. I'm going to take your team laying the seven against the Raiders. Oh, this is also a heavy fan of the Raiders. They have completely fallen off the map. They got blown out at home two weeks in a row. First by Kansas City, which I get. The Bengals, not so much. And this team has just got nothing left. You think even Dallas is down players. They're going to run the football. Their defense will dominate this game. And they think they're going to win this game by double digits. I'm mean, going to take the Cowboys, lay the seven on Thanksgiving, pick one that is the back door is yeah. that the, you know the Cowboys are winning by two scores and the Raiders kind of get a garbage one late but yeah it is a safe pick the Raiders are absolutely going in the wrong direction right now that's pick one for me pick number two I'm going to the big game of the week the 425 the other 425 I'm gonna take the Packers laying the one at home against the Rams and you must have got the Rams all their big names then give me one spot this year where they've gone on a road picked up a big win in a spot where they should win here and Green Bay played better against the Vikings. They came back late. They had a controversial call go against them. They lose the game late. 
This is only a point. I think I win this game by at least a touchdown. So give me the Packers laying the one against the Rams. Pick two. Yeah, that is a bit of a weird line there. And like you mentioned, the Rams, they've really under-delivered in every big game that they've been in this year. So I like the pick. All right, it's pick number two. Pick number three. I'm going to Sunday Night Football. I'm going to take the Ravens laying the four against the Browns. And I'm assuming Lamar Jackson will be recovered from whatever illness he has by the time this game is played. Even if he's not, though, Cleveland has looked bad. I know Baker is playing hurt. They struggled mightily to beat the Lions last week, and the Lions are 0-9-1 going into Thanksgiving. And Baltimore, I think, is due for a big bounce back here. And getting Cleveland coming in here on Sunday night, those games last year were wild. Baltimore won them both. I think Baltimore will put up a big, big after here. The defense, I think, will shut the Browns down. So I'm going to take Baltimore laying four last pick of the week. Yeah, if I had a fourth pick, that would have been my fourth pick. I actually I, I had that on my original card, and I said, I'll, I'll change it up. I'll go with the, the Vikings, but I love that pick. I think that they're going to roll in that game. All right, so to reset the picks here, Troy's taking the Patriots, laying five and a half at home against the Tennessee Titans. The Vikings plus three in Santa Clara against the Niners, and the Falcons laying one in Jacksonville against the Jaguars. I am taking the Cowboys on Thanksgiving, laying seven against the Las Vegas Raiders. The Packers laying one at home against the LA Rams, and the Ravens laying four against the Browns on Sunday Football. Those are your picks for week number 12 on the podcast. Week 13, don't have a guest locked in officially yet, so in lieu of teasing what's coming out there. Let's let's do some well, something else. Let's talk to a little college basketball. I know your forte here. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get into it. Yeah, and the college basketball is fun this week because when you have the Thanksgiving week, you get a lot of these MTEs, the multi-team events, all the tournaments coming up here, and I've had a chance to look at a bunch of these. I'm excited about a lot of these tournaments. Which ones are you most jazzed up for this week? Uh, I love the battle for Atlantis. I think that there's there's so many uh, high-quality teams in that one. you got UConn and Auburn in a first-round game, Baylor and Arizona State. There's some big-time teams in that one. Uh, I love it. I think we, we mentioned in our, in our college basketball preview, you know, the Maui tournament is a little bit underwhelming this year, obviously not being played in Hawaii. I think the battle for Atlantis kind of takes over as, as the, uh, the big tournament for sure. And then how about, you know, tomorrow night, Gonzaga, UCLA, one versus two. Doesn't get much better than that. And then we end the week with Gonzaga and Duke. Uh, it's it's a fun, fun time to be a college basketball fan. You know, I, I always I always see people say, if you're not watching college basketball until March, you're missing out. And this is the stuff that you're missing out on. We've had some incredible, incredible games this weekend. Or yesterday, we just got a, a Final Four preview, possibly, in Villanova and Purdue. There's a ton of high-quality games being played right now. And I'm really looking forward to this week. Yeah, throw a couple more in there in terms of underrated. I think the Fort Myers tip off Ohio State, Seton Hall, Cal, and Florida. I think it's a pretty good field of four. I like mm-hmm. that one. Yeah, mm-hmm. As I mentioned here, uh, I'm going to throw out two, two other ones here. The ESPN Events Invitational down in Orlando. They said a lot of quality mids. The Alabama-Iona NCAA tournament rematch on Thursday would be fun. Iona 5-0. and They picked up good wins against Harvard, Liberty, Hofstra, things in quality mids. Alabama struggled to get by South Alabama at home, so... I have to pick Alabama in that game, but I think it's be close to people think. Yeah, yeah, that'll be a good kind of measuring stick game for Iona. Uh, you would assume that they're they're not going to be able to pull out the win, but should be you know an interesting game to see how how long they can hang with Alabama for. Yeah, you got some quality mids in that field. I mean, Belmont's there, Iona's there, Drake is there, North Texas was the tournament last year. There's a lot of good mids in that field. Yeah, and that's that's you know what this what this time of year is all about is just challenging yourself, playing these tough tough games against teams that are a little bit better than you or teams that are on your level to kind of see where you're at in November. You know, no one's going to win a national title in November. It's all about you know kind of preparing yourself to make that run in January, February, and March. Yeah, and one other one I'll throw out there. The last one I'll mention here: the 
the NIT season tip-off. I when it was the preseason NIT. I think it has probably the most underrated game of the week here. It's Memphis-Virginia Tech on Wednesday night at the Barclays Center. So if you want to see this event, go down there, buy a ticket. I think that's, a, that's an underrated game. I would not be shocked if Memphis lost that game. Yeah, I actually didn't even, even know that that game was going on. That's a that's a so speaks to your point about it being underrated. That's a really really solid game. Yeah, I'll be I'll definitely be tuning into that. Yeah, I think Xavier's on the other half of that bracket. He's got into the top twenty five this week, so yep. we're, that's gonna be a good final setup. Regardless, I'm assuming Xavier takes care of Iowa State. I would think that I'll be shocked they don't. Yeah, good field there. Uh, Xavier looked really impressive last week against uh, Ohio State, and then Big East looking strong with four teams ranked right now. Xavier and Seton Hall entering the top twenty five. Absolutely, Troy. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, if you follow social media, keep up with your podcast, The Seeing Red Podcast. Sure, yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy Moriello. The last name is M-A-U-R-I-E-L-L-O. I do the Seeing Red Podcast, cover St. John's and a little bit of Big East hoops. Uh, we come out with new, new, new shows every week. We got a big game with Kansas coming up next week. So uh, definitely tune in for my thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I believe it's the first college basketball game that the Islanders do plays out of UBS. It is, yeah, yeah. Friday, December third, uh, St. John's opens that for college basketball. So really looking for. I'll be there in person. Uh, should be a really fun game. Good, good measuring stick game for the Johnnies again. Yeah. Next time we talk, I want to scatter before that arena because I've not been, I've not been out there yet. I don't know when I'll get out there. So hopefully, we'll see see how the vantage lines look for basketball. Yes, I'll have the full scouting report for you. All right, Troy. Thanks all the time. I really appreciate it. All right, thanks, Mike. The two minute drill. All right, two-minute drill time. We're going to talk about the Mets here. And the good news to the Mets, they finally have a GM. Billy Epler took the job. And you want to take a look at my reaction to his press conference. You can check out the blog, justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. I share my thoughts on what we, we took away from that. If you look at Billy Epler's resume, you see some things you like. He has a good scouting background. He has experience in New York. He worked with the Yankees assistant GM under Brian Cashman. He embraced analytics. And he's been a GM before, which is a very underrated factor in this market. Whereas the guys that brought in last year was Jared Porter or Zach Scott were basically learning how to run the operation for the first time. Epler's done it. That's important in a very condensed offseason. There are some bad things. He had a bad run with the Angels. They were under 500 at, in his tenure and never made the playoffs. And he's able to find much pitching outside of Shohei Otani. You want to say maybe the Artie Marino factor is an issue here? Sure, you can say that, but you still got to prove he's he going to do better with a less meddlesome owner. We're not going to get into the relationship he has with David Stearns reportedly, because remember the Mets still are thinking about going after Stearns when his contract expires. We're not getting into that. We're assuming it right now, if he's available, they're going to try and get Stearns to come over here and be the president of base operations above Epler next offseason. The biggest positive right now for Epler is that the Mets, again, Need somebody who could run the front office and know what he's doing. Epler has done that. It's important because the Mets are already behind the eight ball, a season that could be severely impacted by potential work stoppage. Remember, we're going to talk about this next week on the podcast. The CBA deadline, it expires December 1st at midnight. December 2nd, presumably, there's a lockout coming. And the Mets have not done a lot. The starting pitching market is moving without the Mets who lost Noah Syndergaard in a one-year deal worth $20 million to the Angels. You can't blame him for taking more money. It's a little bit of a surprise he can come back here to the Mets or give him a chance to match, considering he was waxing poetic about the Mets in, the, in his last press conference. I would be grateful for the QO. All that stuff is whatever. If the Mets did get the chance to match, 
They hadn't even finished the hire for David for Billy Eckler yet. That's a problem. As of podcast release date, we are 10 days away from potentially locking out the sport. During this time, Billy Epler has to start assembling his own front office, bringing in some people to help out. The Mets have some guys in-house who can help, but as soon as he wants some of his own people in here, start looking at the player transactions, whether it's trades, free agents. You got to start thinking about managerial candidates, about what kind of manager he wants to run the Mets. All that's going to happen in an organization he barely knows. The first two things, I mean, the front office people, the manager, that could be happening while there is a potential lockout going on. That's not as big a deal. The issue is that the Mets are weeks behind everybody else in the offseason. Teams are going out and making player moves. The Mets just announced that Billy Epler was here last week. That's a big, big red flag because 2022 is a very important season for them. They still need to add multiple starting pitchers, at least two, some relievers, some key hitters, make some decisions on guys like Javi Baez, Marcus Stroman, Michael Conforto. And Epler is trying to build an organization on the fly in 10 days. The Mets do have one massive advantage here. Steve Cohen's checkbook. They're going to have to break that checkbook out big time. And Cohen has said that he will have significant resources behind Billy Epler to make the moves to help the Mets win this year. Taking so long in that front office, he's put them in a position where decisions could be rushed. That increases the chance of mistakes being made. Can you say, okay, we'll pay over the mistakes and you'll build some time in here to grow the far system? Sure, but this is not an ideal spot to be in. So hopefully the Mets can recover from this. With that, I want to end the show. I want to thank John Butchko for calling in to talk about the Jets and tough spot for the Jets. We'll see how they do down the stretch here. So thank Troy Moriello for hopping on the line to do the week number 12 NFL picks. Work stuff like this podcast, including my look at the Billy Apple press conference, our big takeaways from it. Check out the blog over at justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. Go subscribe to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering, your favorite podcast platform. You find all episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and star rings well. They help make the podcast even better going forward. You can also follow my YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Video versions of the chats with John and Troy are up on the YouTube channel as well. Again, it's Mike Phillips on YouTube. And so follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-3-3-1. And that's going to do it for our podcast this week. Coming up next week, we're going to have a couple episodes. We're going to start off with a Cyber Monday pop culture special. Catch up on the Hawkeye premiere, Tiger King season two, King Richard, and more. Until then, have a good week, everybody. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.